prostitute, can you? This is Jen. And this is Becky. And this is Too Close to Home. And I think you can rape a prostitute. Okay. I'm pretty solid it's in that. Non-consent, baby. <laughs> this. Okay. No means no. <laughs> so I just wanted to go ahead and get my sources out of the way, first thing. Um, this week's killer is Robert Christian Hansen. Uh, he also went by Bob, and that's what I'm going to colloquially, colloquially refer to him as because Bob. Fancy words. Bob. <laughs> <laughs> All that to say, I just really like calling him Bob. <laughs> it's a lot easier. <laughs> so, my killer actually has a movie um, that was based on him, a thriller starring Nick Cage and uh, John Cusack. John Cusack plays the killer, and Nick Cage, he plays the state trooper in there, and not Selena Gomez, the one that looks like Selena Gomez, I can't remember what her name is, she plays a prostitute in there, 50 Cent produced and helped get this oh. movie played, and so he plays a pimp in there, as he would. As he would. So, lots of good characters. Um, What's the name of it? Frozen Ground. Huh, I might have to watch that tonight when I'm all snugged up in my bed. Oh, yeah. I believe it's on Netflix. It's either Netflix... Because I remember seeing something that 50 Cent produced, so I bet this is it. I didn't watch it, but I remember seeing something about it. I don't feel like he has a large repertoire of movies he's produced, so... No. (laughs) And and I didn't even know he produced this one until after the fact, and I was like, what? Really? And you still chose that hair. And when you watch that movie, you'll see what I'm talking about. Okay, okay. (laughs) It was a little whoo, so uh, <laughs> I use that film, although it is not very accurate. It is definitely good to watch. You kind of get an idea of the situation if you are a visual person. The gist. And don't want to see the gore and the nastiness of everything. I also use that Criminal Minds fandom site. They had a lot of good things. The Alaska Department of Public Safety Informa- Public Information Office had some stuff. And last but not least... My favorite podcast, Last Podcast on the Left. They did two episodes on Robert Hansen, episode 308-309. If you want to listen to the boys, they are excellent. Uh, Marcus is a great researcher, so a lot of my stuff was based off of this. And then the things I already knew about Robert Hansen. My inspiration to get started on this story was Dexter. And I'm not going to spoil it for you because I know you haven't watched the new season yet. I haven't. Or uh, any of the seasons before that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought you had seen it. No. no, okay. I've briefly dabbled in it, but... Well, for those who don't know what Dexter is, because I know you know who, yeah. what it's based on, it's uh, a serial killer who kills bad guys, pretty much. Yeah. And kind of a vigilante serial killer, if you will. And in the new season, one of the killers is kind of like a homage to what Robert Hansen is. So, without further further ado, let's get started. He was known. Let's get it started. (laughs) Oh no, I can't sing that. That's gonna get like copyrighted out. (laughs) So he was known as the Butcher Baker. I have heard of him. Yeah, I have watched a movie over him. Yes, (laughs) but I'm excited to hear your take versus what I've seen. So he was a little old petite man. He was five six. He was pockmarked, and he had a terrible stutter, like debilitating. Um, And 
add insult to injury, he was a gun fanatic of, like, the worst kind. Like, everybody, every hobby has those guys that are very elitist about stuff. That would be him. Okay. So, when you look at him or seen pictures of him, he is the epitome of a nerd, which I'll go ahead and show you. Mm-hmm. Got the horn room glasses, uh, just very quiet, good golly, that's how we would talk and stuff like that. Um, but despite being a nerd, he had a very low IQ, oh. uh, like the Green River Killer, like very dullard. But that doesn't mean that he wasn't a good serial killer. Just like the Green River Killer, um, he was almost like a savant at killing. Very methodical, very planned out. So his beginnings and where it all starts <laughs> was in a tiny town called Estherville, Iowa, <laughs> on February 15th, 1939. And he was born to a very plain woman named Edna and a Danish immigrant named Christian Hansen. I love the way that when they describe the mother, they just describe her as a plain woman, but yeah. the dad is a Danish immigrant. Like, he's not plain? Why does the woman always have to be plain? What's Why plain about her? She always have to be described by her looks. Anyway, <laughs> carry on. But I digress. With his plain mother. <laughs> so Christian was a very overbearing father, kind of like a tiger dad in a way. He wanted his son to follow in his steps, which his father was a baker. And, of course, he brought that with him from Denmark and uh, would make him go work at the bakery every day. So think about this. When do bakeries start? Like at 3.30, 4.30 mm-hmm. in the morning? This kid's out there being forced by his Danish dad in the middle of Cornfield, Iowa. <laughs> Get the crackers on and bake some Danish cookies. All the while, this little dude, he just wants to throw knives. Uh, okay. <laughs> he would spend hours behind his dad's bakery just throwing knives like just awkwardly very into guns like do you remember being in school in the aughts and like in high school there was always that weird kid that would wear like the trench coat smelled a little funny liked weapons and weird knives that you could get for the flea market it feels like this okay 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 like the 1950s version you know um that was he throwing him at anything or just he was throwing it at, I don't know, at something. I think he was throwing it at the building, but he would just go back there and practice it. And his whole goal was to be, like, a silent killer. Okay. You know, like, sneak up on you. you Ninja stars across the room, but these are just flea market knives. <laughs> right? Gotcha. Look at these. I got these the best flea market knives they have out there, baby. <laughs> so his stutter actually got started from handwriting. So back in those days, I don't know if you know this, uh... If you wrote with your left hand, they would force you to write with your right hand. Mm. And my grandfather, I only know this because my grandfather would complain about it. He was born left-handed. And he said the teachers would smack his hands if he tried to write with his left hand. So it forced him Mm. to use his right hand. Well, because of that, it messed something up in him. Yeah, yeah. And he created this stutter that never left him. That fine motor skills is related to your brain and your speech and they all work together, so... And then to have an overbearing father on top of that. Yeah. Like, just trauma. Let me just... My poor husband's in South Paul. They would have just beaten his little... It's a little tushy. Yeah. Poor JJ. I know. Shut up. <laughs> uh, he later had really bad acne, which, of course, led to uh, some really bad pockmark scars. And that actually helped identify him later with some of his victims that did survive. 
So being this petite man, small, pipsqueak, of course he wants power. He's looking for power. He decides to join the volunteer fire department, the junior police group, anything that has a semblance of power. Something where people would have to respect him, like non-option. And we've all met cops like that. People who literally got in just to do that. Right. Just like at the authority that power. the power. Yeah. Sure. So after high school, which was horrendous for him, obviously. I'm sure it was. He decided, I gotta join the army because those other avenues didn't work out real well. He didn't get enough power from those things. So the only time that was any kind of remarkable was he got like a soldier of the month prize and they were like, gave him a day pass to New York City. I don't know where his base was at the time. So him and a bunch of soldiers went down to the city and a bunch of them got together, raised money and were like, bro, you're going to lose your virginity tonight. Oh, okay. Right. So, I mean, which we just regular Saturday things. Yeah. We might've heard, I've heard that back in those days, like guys getting together and having staggering, like, oh, let's do this, you know, but it really didn't go right. So you would think it's more like, this is transactional. And as men, it's very unemotional a lot of times. Women right. are more the emotional. Well, his review of this, and this is an actual quote, I got to feel it, but that was about it. Everything was strictly slam, bam, thank you, ma'am. I didn't even get a hug, and I wasn't allowed to sleep in the bed. Well, S- sir, were you expecting The Bachelor? I know. I'm confused on what he thought an encounter for paid sex would be, but okay. So, like... In his mind, he started developing these personas, two personas for women. He would either be Madonnas, holy and wonderful, or whores. Yes. And that's that's where it kind of gets going right there. And that woman, within seconds, is labeled a whore. As she would, I guess. Right. Since she didn't want to snuggle. What prostitute? Or service ever, right? (laughs) No hub. (laughs) Not even one. So, after his unremarkable time in the Army, he decides to go back to Pocahontas, Iowa, where his dad has a bakery and everything. Very successful bakery. Um, he's a, t- like, a huge prominent member of, of Pocahontas, which is, like, the worst name for a white bread town, but whatever. Right. <laughs> How much more can we say we took your land? Right. Then name it after you and own it. And your face. <laughs> you know what? Awesome. This was really thoughtful of you. I'm just going to name it after you. Yeah. No, you don't get to live here. You need to go out that uh, way. Yeah. Uh-huh. No. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> so, knowing this, he's left school, right? Out of school, went to the Army, done these things. None of that has quelled the anger he had towards the school he went to. He was just pissed at the school because he got bullied? Yeah. Like, okay. He never let it go, and he was always very set on revenge. Which, like... I can understand when you're fresh out of high school, like, being angry, but, like, a couple years later, and you've moved on in life, and you've legally been able to drink and do these other things, and you, why are you still angry? Right. That's, like, in your rear view. Like, why? Yeah. That's how obsessive he would become about things, and um, he wanted to make people pay because everybody around him, he felt, just treated him and slighted him. Like, the police chief. Uh, took his junior police instructor rank away because he was too old. <laughs> Not to mention his weird habits of throwing knives because the police chief happened upon him one time while he was back there and he's like, oh, what you doing? He's like, you know, 
You didn't hear anything, did you? Sneak right up on you and throw a knife. And he was surprised they took that badge away. Shocked. I know. For Clint about it. Um, so what does he do? He decides to do the, uh, what's that movie where Matthew McConaughey says with the girls, I like high school girls. I keep getting older and they stay the same age. <laughs> like that creep that hangs out with high school kids. Yeah. That's what he does. He gets his ragtag group at 19 years old of all these teenagers and says, like, like, like an actual gang <laughs> and decides we're going to get revenge on everybody. Hmm. His first plan was to blow up a tractor in a nearby town. But that was just practice. Okay. The next was to blow up the town water town. Water tower. Like a corn-fed 9-11. Yeah. The next and final goal was to blow up the school to get revenge. Oh, okay. So he's just building up to... Yeah. These are little practices for him. Yeah. Like, can I pull off this caper? Can I pull off this caper? Okay. So then he's like, okay, I can't blow up the school, but let's do the bus barn. Everybody in the town, as in all small towns, is attending a did game. Did he blow up the water tower? I believe he did, yeah. Okay. Sorry, I'm sure you didn't know there was going to be a Q&A. Oh, <laughs> dang it, I'm not prepared. Uh, I was like looking at my notes like, where does it say that? Like it's going to disappear on the page. Google. So he decides to blow up the bus barn, and everybody in this small town is attending a basketball game. You've been in a small town where it's like Friday night lights, and like everybody's mm-hmm. everybody, everybody's anybody's there. So they take a, ga- a can of gas and they burn it down, and they render three but three buses un- un- unusable. And then this is where like the kink gets a little weird. He's still a volunteer firefighter at that time before they obviously end up letting him go eventually. So after he sets his fire and leaves, he gets to come back. Oh, and put it out, be the hero. And, and watch as this whole thing burns and put it out and gets his rocks off again. Yeah. So, and, and like a lot of serial killers love, these are ramping up activities to, right. to murder. It's arson, theft, and stuff like that. So he was very into that. So after... That the superintendent, who was a very good friend of his dad, was super angry, right? And this was like the best thing that could ever possibly happen because he despised his father. So knowing that he fucked over his dad's friend, and oh, they know he out, did it. They found out he did it. Well, so this is what happened. One of his little old cronies uh, was talking to an off-duty GI about it and was like, "Oh, we blew this up." Da, 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 da. And of course, that was like, "Oh, now I got to report it." Yeah. And word gets around, and they start investigating him. And the town gets split in two, because his dad is this prominent baker. And, of course, cops love donuts. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like two factions of anti-Bob, pro-Bob. Of course my son would never do this. Why would you even insinuate it to, of course he fucking blew that shit up. Have you seen this kid? He's blowing ice behind my bakery. (laughs) You know? Uh... In the middle of all this, he meets a girl named Phoebe Paget, and she falls madly in love and decides, I need to marry you. And if this guy can get married, anybody can, I guess. Uh, right. Uh, and of course, her parents didn't want them to get married, but they did. And so eventually things kind of seize up and go to the point where they take him for a lie detector test. 
he fails it. And he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and plead guilty, even though I'm innocent, to spare my family of all this. And he spent six months in jail confessing to his wife that he did not do it, did not do it, did not do it, till one day he was like, okay, I did it. And then, of course, she filed for divorce the next day and left his ass. <laughs> As she should. So Christian was so embarrassed about it, he decided he was going to sell his bakery. And then he up left North Dakota to run, like, this uh, resort called Leech Lake. Mm. As an up... This is the upgrade, baby. <laughs> Leech Lake! Bob went off to jail and everything. And as soon as he got out, he, of course, rejoined them in this new town. Leech Lake, where he ended up meeting this also kind of plain girl named Darla Hendrickson. She was a super devout Christian, like the type that's like, you feed the husband for everybody else, you listen to him, he's the head of the household, it's God's divine. It's exactly the kind of woman he needs so that he's the authority and the power figure. Yeah, like, we don't, whatever you say, Bob. And so, they spent the whole night the whole summer romancing and then she goes back to college and then he finally proposed to her and this is a quote where he talks about it and he told her he's like well, dog got it we're just gonna get married <laughs> could you imagine like dog got if you say dog got it i'm not even talking to you anymore <laughs> dog got it <laughs> what <laughs> we are, we're not procreating i'll tell you that at least <laughs> so after they get married they settle in Minneapolis for a little bit of time and then they decided to set their sights on Anchorage, Alaska. And that's where they opened Hanson's Bakery because he eventually did go ahead and follow in his dad's footsteps to become a baker as well. So a little bit about Anchorage at the time. At the beginning of this time, it was like a very weird period between old and new. It was a halfway point for a lot of places in Alaska, like a jumping off point. Like you went from the lower 48 to Anchorage and then into the smaller towns, right? But it's still growing and getting bigger. It has a lot of these modern conveniences that are coming that Alaska's not had before. And then all of a sudden, there's like an oil boom. And all these pipe workers come in. Well, with the pipe workers come sex workers. Mm-hmm. And these sex workers are on like a circuit on the whole Pacific coast. They'll start like San Diego, LA, Portland, Seattle, Anchorage, and then they'll start the circuit over. So they're just making money, but they're going to all these different places. I mean, I guess you wouldn't want to be stuck in Alaska year round. God, that sounds horrible. Not the Alaska part, but being a sex worker in a pipe town. In the middle, like, I'm sure there's no showers really happen frequently. Yeah, Uh uh-huh. Yeah, it does sound horrid. And there were actually a lot of temp sex workers, like people who were like, okay, I need a quick, quick buck. Let's go up Jack Ridge, just hit that pole for a little bit. A lot of, at, at the time, it was a lot of topless bars and stuff. This also meant, though, with all these women that are on this circuit and women coming in and out just to make quick buck, that women were missing, but nobody was missing. Because it was a circuit, so maybe they just left and went back down to somewhere yeah. else. Not to mention they're the less dead or the less missing, the prostitutes or sex right. workers. People didn't, they are still guilty of not investigating sex workers the way they should now, but Absolutely. especially back then. Oh yeah, they were just, you might as well call them paper clips to them. Yeah. You know, which is a shame. And of course, and I don't, nobody can verify this for sure, 
but he bought his bakery right on the edge of the red light district mm-hmm. in that town. Was that planned? I don't know. I'm sure. Ten years before his first confirmed murder, that's when things start really developing. Because, I mean, as Marcus said in uh, last podcast on the left, had he ever left Iowa, it might have not been a good chance of him doing some of these things. But it's the Wild West. It's the frontier. It's a whole new frontier in Alaska. And a lot of wide open humanless space. So it kind of opens up these possibilities and gives yourself these little bit of allowances to do these wild fucking things. Right. Without real recompense, you know? So there was a huge amount of strip clubs there. Yes. You're talking about, like, four strippers per mile or something. You know, like, it's crazy amount of, like, strip clubs. One of them was called Murphy's Law. I like him. Could you imagine going there, though? <laughs> Anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I like it. It's actually the perfect name. <laughs> I could not think of a better name. <laughs> so this whole time he's also, like... Like I told you before, he's very into guns, but he was like that old school nerd. nerd. Nowadays, you have the ability to go online and talk on Reddit and Facebook groups and everything, but you did a lot of correspondence through magazines for hobbies, you know, building model airplanes. Of course, his was guns. So he actually sent pictures of his trophies to gun magazines because he was a very avid hunter. And he sent a ton of hunting records for Alaska um, including the largest ram horns taken by bow and arrow. Hmm. But it, it kind of like lends to the motif because a lot of people believe he used that hobby towards women. And I'll get to a little bit of that later. I think I'm starting to really remember all this now, but I don't want to say anything and spoil. <laughs> <laughs> Spoilerly. <laughs> Ten years before the first confirmed murder, he starts escalating and doing these little things. Like he follows a customer home and asks her for a date. And she refuses. He's angry, but he leaves. And he comes back, and then he attempts to kidnap her at gunpoint. But somehow, by circumstances, he was caught before he could actually abduct her, and he was arrested. He tried after this as well, and while it's not confirmed on Xmas... On Xmas, because I wrote Xmas on Christmas days. On Christmas Day, a few days after the initial attempted abduction, the body of Celia Van Zanten was found in McHugh Creek State Park with her hands tied behind her back with stereo wire, a slash across her chest. She was not killed, but rather she was hidden. So it looked like somebody had attacked her and she had ran off and hidden in some bushes. And that night it had gotten below five and she froze to death. Oh, could you imagine being terrified? No. And then that's, oh. but I think I would probably rather freeze to death than the horde things that I can only imagine that he did to oh, women. Yeah. So. So he denied her murder, um, but the next kidnapped girl was definitely him as well. After a canvas of the working girls in the area, Robert, Robert, Robin Patterson described a man exactly like Hansen, with a pockmark, short, severe stutter, and he had previously abducted her, took her to a hotel room, raped her, then took her to the wilderness and told her he couldn't let her go. Well, she talked her way out of it, saying, Oh, I hate the cops. I mean, look at me. I'm a sex worker or a prostitute or whatever she referred to her as. I wouldn't talk to a cop in a fucking million years. Come on now. You silly goose. <laughs> you think she said silly goose? No, I really I would be so funny. <laughs> he said, well, in this case, I want you to write down one of your relative's um, addresses. That way, if you ever do tell on me, I will hunt them down and kill them. 
So she does. She writes her father's address, takes that paper, folds it up, puts it in his pocket. She also, in this time, talks about another deformity he has that's not seen on the outside. Mm. It's his dick. Okay. It is extremely short, extremely big around, oh. leading into the name Dimple Dick. Stop. <laughs> So, of course, she, you know, she goes back and she tells her pimp all about this, right? And Or handler. And says, you really need to report this. And she's like, I don't, I don't know. Finally, she does. So, officers knew that he had taken her to a hotel. And he had, back in those days, they had the written hand mm-hmm. registers. And they knew that he had put a false name on there, but knew he had a handwriting sample. And so, they bring him in for questioning. And they said, well can we have a handwriting sample? Like, you probably have something in your wallet. So he goes to open his wallet, and that and piece that of paper, piece of paper falls, out. falls out. Whether it's laziness or just covering themselves, they go, we don't have a warrant, though. We can't just take this piece it's of paper. It's in plain sight, though. I know. Right? So they write down the address on another piece of paper and then give it back to him. Evidence. Okay. Evidence. I'm so confused. I know. But okay. What happens now is it becomes a he said, she said. And because of the huge amount of support that he had towards for people in power at the time, because just like his dad before, he had ties with real prominent figures of society in Anchorage. They just let it go. They believed him over her. So, another time in 1973, a school teacher was moonlighting in Alaska as a topless dancer, trying to make some extra money. That case, he abducted her, and she got away, and that case was dropped because um, the judge would not allow a mediator to be used, because she was afraid to come back up, and her name would get put out there. And she was a teacher. And she was a teacher, and then she'd lose her job. So, that case got dismissed. He also was a very big kleptomaniac, which is another thing serial killers do. Um, Not only the arson, they like to steal a lot of stuff. It's like a thrill. And this is what had more consequences than the kidnapping. This whole time, he's kidnapping these women and doing this stuff. He keeps getting away. keeps getting away. One day, he goes, he's outside of a store, and he's thinking about his dad or something. He's like, oh, you know what? He needs a, a chainsaw. So he goes in, and he takes a previous receipt from something else, puts it in the box with the chainsaw, and then tries to walk out the door with it. He ends up going to jail for that, though. Of course. In the summer of 1979, he drove his first victim, the first one he killed, to Ekletna Lake. And that's familiar because there is a missing Jane Doe called Ekletna. Why can't I not say this? Ekletna. 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 Ekletna Lake. There we go. (laughs) Just say it once and don't ever repeat it again. You know, that lake. That lake. That lake. Um, So there's Ekletna Annie, and this is who he had driven out there. He said that it got complicated. He got stuck in the mud. He was really aggravated. He's like, I just don't even want to deal with this anymore. And she was like in the car, and he's like, oh, I'm just going to take you back. She's bound up and everything. And she's like, no, fuck that. Runs, right? He catches up, grabs her by the hair, and they start into a tussle. I guess she had grabbed her purse, and there was a knife in it, and she gets a knife out and starts swiping at him, trying to defend herself. Good for her. And he gets it from her and stabs her to death. A few days later, he kidnaps again. Wow. Not much cooling down. No, not at all. 
uh, unsuccessful in killing this girl, she gets away on someone's doorstep, naked, bound with guitar strings, and slashes on her hands and body. Please take his word, and that case is dropped. Wow. So, so he knew he did know some really prominent people that he kept getting, which means he's just going to get worse and do more. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So her identity has never been found. Oh wow. So and that That's was sad. so long ago, but very, very tragic to to be unnamed. Uh, his second victim he killed six months later, Roxanne Eastland, which wouldn't re- be recovered to after his capture. His third murder was Joanne Messina. I sounded like Jody Messina. I'm like, what, wait, did I say that wrong? <laughs> I'm not talking about the country star. Oh. Um, she went to dinner after meeting him at the docks, and this was so funny. Well, it's not really, but in a weird way it is. So he's having dinner, because just like with that prostitute he lost his virginity to, he's expecting romance. Well, she's talking during the dinner, you know, I just really need to make some money. I just don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm new to town. And, da, da, da. and he's like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like how our husbands do when uh-huh. they don't pick up a hint? And finally, she's like, he's not getting it. I would like to have sex with you for money. So you give me money, I give you sex. And at that moment, he's like, disgusted. I'm going to kill her. She's no longer Madonna. She is now a whore. She meets her end at the Kanai Peninsula, where when the body is found, this is really sad, uh, there was a endangered black bear that had already gotten to her remains. Mm. And somebody had stumbled upon it, you know, and state troopers had been called out. And they were trying to, you know, salvage this crime scene when the bear comes back. And the bear's inching clor- you know, closer to the body, wanting to get this body back, because obviously it's already had a little mid-afternoon snacky and it's a little package again. <laughs> and um, they make a split-second decision to go ahead and kill the bear. And they were more upset about that than the fact that there was a dead woman. That's really sad. Because, I mean, we have I mean, tons of sex workers in Alaska, but how many black, endangered black bears do we have? I mean, I'm going to play devil's advocate. I get being upset that you had to kill an endangered animal because I fear for the day that there's many animals my child will never get to see. Right. But when it comes to an animal versus a human, regardless of they're alive or dead, I feel it should be the human. Oh, absolutely. Especially when the human's not out there hunting it or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, she's just like, it just happened that it's a scavenging situation. Right. All this time he's doing these things, he starts becoming much more careful about his hunting in the city. Um, Despite his very low IQ, he was a really good hunter. Which is so sad, like that's all you had going for you, bro. He had a array of disguises, like a fake mustache and this, but it wasn't for like, people not knowing, it was more of a confidence booster. All I'm picturing is, like, when you buy those glasses that have the fake nose and mustache. That's <laughs> 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 why I'm picturing him wearing, like, nobody's going to know it's me, and look how cool I look. <laughs> My name is uh, Bill Hodson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm picturing. <laughs> he would often meet them in topless clubs, and he'd offer them money for photography. Or he would offer to take him out to lunch. Does he have a wife during this time? Oh, yeah. Okay, I thought And so. children. Okay, that's what I thought. The whole wife that's, like, subservient and everything. Doing everything. Okay. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Just making sure. So, they would usually meet at a restaurant, and it was usually Wendy's. Oh. Precious. <laughs> and I hope he bought her a Frosty, at least. At least. At least. He would arrive very early to make sure they arrived alone, in case if they brought, like, their handler or their pimp with them. That way he could get out of there in a clean thing. Um, it was almost like tracking him. 
I'm just going to keep a watch, see what they're doing. After eating, he would offer to take him to a second location for possible photography because it's not like you can pull a gun in a Wendy's. I mean, I'm sure it's happened. I feel like if someone, like, offered you a photography shoot for money, that they probably wouldn't take you to Wendy's for lunch beforehand. Yes. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not a model, so I don't know. Listen, I'm going to treat you real right, okay? We're going to go to Wendy's. I'm going to get you that spicy chicken, baby. <laughs> you can order anything off the 99-cent menu you want. <laughs> Junior bacon cheeseburger, both show. <laughs> <laughs> you want a Baconator, baby? Let's make it two. <laughs> So, just like with your killer that he made these little allowances, mm-hmm. she did this, so I had to kill her. He did the same thing. He would put these women in a very scary situation, pull a gun out, and then they would freak out, obviously, and he'd be like, bitch, why you freak out? Now I have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> that was his reasoning for everyone that he actually killed. Oh, well, she did this, so I had to. Yeah. One of them uh, was Sherry Morrow. She told her friend... That a stranger had offered to pay her $300 for an erotic photo shoot. Next thing she knew, she was headed up to Pioneer Peak along the Kinnick River with the ace bandage wrapped around her eyes, which is a repeated thing for him. It was a power thing. Also, he would claim that it was like if they ever got loose, they couldn't come back to that spot mm-hmm. or something. I, it seemed like some it seemed like a bullshit reason. Anyways, he, he liked to use the ace bandage, cover their eyes, keep that control over them. Um, he got stuck again, and of course she ran. He got up to her, and she was screaming bloody murder, and at that he was just so aggravated, he said. He just went, boop, and shot her. Point blank. Like, oh my god, this is an inconvenience. Yeah. You're gonna wake up all the bears. <laughs> right? She's supposed to get out and offer to put chains on his tires to help him get unstuck? I don't know. I mean, like, sir, you're, you're kidnapping me. Why am yeah. I doing this work? Her body was found a year later. A year? Mm-hmm. And so they found, actually, a two twenty three caliber shell casing near her body. And it had striations in the shell. And they knew when they had that, if they could get the killer's gun, they could match the striations, which, of course, we've all seen CSI, okay? Right. We've all seen Law and Orders. We all <laughs> right. know about the striations. <laughs> but uh, that was their biggest break in this murder was... Okay, we finally have something to lead us to that person. However, he claimed more three more victims between her death and the discovery of her body. Damn. But it finally helped kind of launch this investigation towards killing him. All Cat- meanwhile, capturing him. Oh yeah. Catch yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, wish. So he started an insurance scam also at this time. Because why not? Uh, why? You know what? Let's do it. Yeah. I'm already trying to steal chainsaws and kill women. Why not try to... Right. And baking cookies on the side. Just for fun. Yeah. <laughs> you want a biscuit, baby? <laughs> yeah. Now let's try to fraud some insurance. So he was a huge hunter, and so he had all these trophies, hunting trophies in his house. And he claimed that someone broke in and stole them. All he did was he took them out and he buried them in his backyard. Jesus Christ. And the insurance company decided, you know what? I believe you. Here's $13,000. They'll pay you for that? Apparently. Apparently them things are really expensive. That taxidermy don't play around. I myself love buying dead things. As you can see, we're in my room right now. So I have a little cabinet and I have like dead things in there. It's cute. You know, it doesn't sound that way, but it is. But like $13,000. But you know what he did with it? He bought a plane. Mm, Yeah, I do remember hearing about him. 
Mm-hmm. He started taking that plane into the Yukon or like out in the middle of nowhere and robbing these cabins, these remote cabins, like generators, tools, this, that, and the other. That's going to bite him in the butt later, though. Teresa Watson may have been the first victim brought on the plane, but they don't know. Some of these things are... Oh, they'll never know. That wild, undiscovered area at the time, and he's got a plane. God knows how many people are out there that will never be found. So, here's where it's kind of like, was he really hunting women? Because the forensics never really exactly showed that he was hunting the women, nor did he ever mention it, admit to it, or was asked that really necessarily. He preferred archery for hunting. Most of his animal game, like regular animal, not human animal, was done with bow and arrow. And that's what most of his trophy um, records were for, for bow and arrow kills. All his other kills of women were not with that. It was mostly the two twenty three rifle that shot them. So it was either he felt like he needed a different method of kill for women because the bow and arrow may have not been as precise or, you know, what have you. Or maybe he thought the bow and arrow would signal to him since he had wrote to all these magazines about his expertise and set these records with bow and arrow. If I kill these women with bow and arrow, they may think it's me because I'm such a marksman with the bow and arrow. Oh, dang, that's a smart girl. So let me shoot with a gun. When are you going to be a detective? Right. <laughs> I'm an armchair detective. <laughs> the best kind. <laughs> it was probably more like this. It was kidnapping, saying, stay calm, everything will be fine. Then obviously nobody did. And then one thing led to another and they were dead. Poor him. They were all usually forcefully raped, like forced to have sex. Um, and it kind of led to that. Uh, this is where his downfall starts. So lovely. I love the downfall. On June 11th, 1983, Cindy Paulson is offered $200 for oral sex, which is an extreme amount for that time. I don't know what the going rate is for oral sex these that. days, so I don't know how they came up with that as like, oh my God, that's a really good deal. Um, brought her home due to his family being in Europe at the time. I guess his family would just go and take vacations without him. This whole time, he's got a full-ass bakery he's running. Yeah. And kidnapping all these fucking women that he's also hunting. And then also really actually hunting. Yeah. So, what time does he have with his family? Like, none of that ever really factors into it. Pretty much just ignoring all of them. So, he takes her back to her basement and handcuffs her in his trophy room and rapes her. And then he leaves her overnight in there. Um, even to the point where I think she ended up peeing on the floor. Like, he wouldn't let her go to the bathroom. Then he said, okay, next morning, let's get up. We're going to go to the wilderness. It's time for me to hunt you down and kill you. Mm. And that's her statement. But before she could get into the plane at Merrill Field, she ran. And she was able to get away because she flagged down, like, a security officer. And he goes into, like, recoup mode. Like, okay, let her go. Walks to his you know, car very slowly, cautiously gets in, goes home, removes the hook out of the wall where he had her chained up, and then just putties over it and acts like nothing happened. <laughs> so, uh, Cindy gets back to her pimp, and he is pissed and goes looking for Bob, but can't find him. Hanson eventually was brought into question, and the, because Cindy did finally go to cops. Allowing the cops, and he allowed the cops to look at his house, his car, and his plane for all these things. 
In his Buick sedan, he had ace bandages, bullets, surgical gloves, and more incriminating evidence, but circumstantial at best. Right. The basement, though, was exactly how Cindy had described it. How could a sex worker who had no knowledge of this man's home down to the foosball table could tell you what was in his basement without have actually been there at one point? So then they put him in a lineup, and of course she pulls it, points him out, and he gets with two of his friends, though, and says, I have a really awkward situation. I need help. Give me an alibi. And so these two friends both give him an alibi of fixing airplane seats. Two separate people. Bob, you just bought a plane. What do you know about seats? Right? <laughs> so this is where it like, gets even worse, man. At the time, the Anchorage Police Department was changing their system, and you've probably been this before in any of your jobs, where they're changing from one system to the other and there's things that are missing. Right. Well, his whole record goes missing in this middle time, and when they search him, he looks like he has a clean record. No arson, no theft, no kidnapping, nothing. Clean record. So, of course they believe him. Oh, this bitch is putting it on. Look right. at this man. Squeaky clean. He's a sex worker. He's squeaky clean. Mm-hmm. So, at this point, you know, Cindy's accused uh, by the cops of lying. So, she's like, fuck it. If you don't believe me, fine. I'm leaving. And she leaves. They close the case and move on. And then Detective Maxine Farrell, who believed Cindy, couldn't let it sit. Like She was like, mm, something's not right. She decides to take that case and send it over to the troopers for Alaska. And Trooper Hogsfin was investigating Morrow's murder, which was the one with the shoot uh, twenty three caliber bullet. She the one that the bear was eating? No, no, no. This was the one they found the, the bullet casing. Okay. So he started seriously looking into it and where Bob had been flying this whole time. However, come to find out, he had no pilot's license. When he went to go get his pilot's license, they said, no, you can't have it because you take lithium for bipolar disorder. Okay, that's understandable. He didn't have bipolar disorder. One of the many times he was arrested and put in and talked to a psychologist, they were like, oh, you're bipolar. And so he just went with it because he figured down the line this will be something that I, I can, can use. use. He also used it to cover his strange behavior, which was very awkward anyways. The tower at Merrill Field, where he would fly in and out of, actually never knew where he was going all the time. What a wild time. Oh, Nobody he never, like, shit. log flight logs or anything. No logs, nothing. They didn't know where he was going, what he was doing, just this little, little tiny... And they um, just let him go fly right... plane or whatever, and that's it. So, in 1983, Trooper spot Paula Goulding's body off the Kinnick River, which is only accessible by boat and plane, and as well as some two twenty three caliber shells. Hmm starting to add up. And this is where the hero kind of comes in the story. Glenn Flothy is his name. I'm going to call him Glenn. Uh, his persistence is what brought this case together. He looked at the sex workers that went missing and created a victim matrix of 10 victims. All the workers, I mean, all the victims were sex workers who were worked at topless dancers between 5'5 five, five and 5'7 five, and were extremely busty. Mm. Cindy was in the wind at the time, and they were trying to locate her to bring her back in because the troopers were taking this seriously. So finally, a beat cop called Gentile <laughs> found her and convinced her that they were going to finally take Hanson down. The tough part was he still had an alibi. 
how are you going to be able to correct this, right? He's got two people. Right. Substantiating this, right? Well, that's when they decide to call John Douglas. You know who that is, right? Mm Mm-mm. So you know the FBI's criminal profile unit? Oh, he started it? Yeah, he's the one who started it. But, like, if you know anything about John Douglas, he likes to take credit for everything. (laughs) (laughs) He comes in, and he makes a profile for Killer, which is dead on. And and this was the profile. He had a speech impediment, skin problems as a teen, hunter, married to a religious woman who was unaware, successful business owner, an upstanding member of the community, probably had a murder bag, and most likely took trophies. Wow. Like, he was wow ass on. So because of that, Flothy was able to get a warrant to search his house all over. As they're searching the house, the next-door neighbor, uh, the wife of the one who provided one of the alibis, goes, what, you, what y'all doing? Oh, well, he's under investigation for murder. Well, I'm going to let you know right now, my husband don't ever hang out with his ass. <laughs> Coming in clutch. <laughs> As women do. <laughs> So she calls her husband and says, you need to get your ass right back here, right now. And tell the truth. Exactly. Exactly. After locating nothing, I mean, they search top to bottom, can't find nothing. As a Hail Mary, they decide to go in the attic and search around in the insulation. That's where they find a map with 24 X's. Oh, yes, I remember this. Some being found victims, others, we had no idea what the X's were for, right? Probably victims. The neighbor comes home, and of course he admits he lies. And Bob no longer has alibis anymore. It just totally breaks down the case. So not only did they find that map with the crosses on it, they also finally found the 223 rifle, which they could match the striations on those 223 caliber shell casings. Remember how I said it would bite him in his butt about the uh, plane in those cabins? Well... The tire markings from that plane was found at those scenes where he broke into those cabins. The same tire markings were also found at some of the crime scenes where the bodies were found, such as Morrow's, and that helped link his plane to those scenes. In 1984, Hansen's attorneys called the prosecution to plead guilty, with the caveat to hopefully reduce the embarrassment to his family. Uh, I think that that's already there, dear. He also went out there to help them recover the bodies on those maps. Because, like, he vehemently denied it for a long time, and then he was like, okay, fine. So they take him out there, and, of course, the troopers have, like, a marksman trained on him, and they remark that when he gets out there, this very awkward starter man becomes very alive and alive in the environment that he's in. And he goes over to this bank of snow and digs down, and he goes, she's here. Well, the ground's frozen. They can't dig her up. So they mark something on the tree. After the thaw, they come back, and every single one that he had marked was the precise spot. Wow. And these are murders from, like, a couple years back. Like, his span of murders lasted a long time. Like, from the late 70s, early 80s. Or, no, the early 70s to early 80s. So almost a decade, right? Yeah. To think about it, like, he, this was the only thing he was good at. Like, that's just, like, a broken toy, man. Yeah. <laughs> He was eventually sentenced on January 7th, 1984 to 461 years plus life in prison without the possibility of parole. He was a prison barber, actually. His wife stayed married to him the entire time, believed him, was devout. Oh, my. And, oh, yeah. Like, Hmm. Wake up, honey. Join (laughs) us in the... How sad, you know? Yeah. 
In fact, the inmates would call him, like, Grandpa Bob or something, like, Old Man Bob. Like, he was just this cute little old man. Nobody... What? Mm. Okay. So, there were a couple unknown victims. There was one called Horseshoe Harriet. And this was... This is exciting. Um, in 2021, so last year, they were finally able to identify her. Oh, that's cool. Did it use, like, ancestry stuff? They did. Ah. So, it was used uh, forensic genealogy. And her name is Robin Pelkey. That's and awesome. she was 19 at the time, and so her family finally has some piece and know. But there are plenty of them on there on this map, and you can Google and find the map where he has some where he's like, oh, well, that's just a spot where I was hunting, or this, that, and the other. I remember that from watching something about him that some of them he just would tell them bogus shit, but you know they're victims, and they'll just never find them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, because most of them... I wonder why he chose not to tell all of them, because you know they are victims. I wonder if he was like, because some of them will not be proud of a certain murder. Like, Ted Bundy didn't take credit for some of his murders because he was not proud of them. Oh, yeah, like, uh, I believe there was a child, and he didn't take credit for it and kept saying it wasn't him, wasn't him. And it was the only, like, juvenile, Mm -hmm. you know, because he was, like, 12 years old or something, and he was like, no, I didn't do that. No, 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 that's not my style. I like a woman. Come on now. And you're right. I have seen other uh, killers that have done that. They've had, like, younger victims or maybe outside of the race that they were typically attacking, and they won't take credit for it. But, you know, it was them. August 21st, 2014, he died. Good. Of natural causes. A better death than he ever deserved. Yeah. But that's the story of Robert Hansen. Oh, Bobby Hansen, baby. Burning in hell. Burn, baby, burn. Yes. This is one that... Well, like, that was very good. I enjoyed it. Thank you. This is the one that I've, I've known about for some time, but, like, I watched that the other day, and I was like, oh, man, I really should just do this one because people have heard about him as being the man in Alaska that hunts, but they don't know his name, and they don't know the whole story. Like, that's Cindy Paulson. She's still alive, you know, and she brought that motherfucker back. Well, I was... Uh, it, when you said he never admitted to hunting the women, when I seen the portrayal of it, they made it as though that was the whole reason he took them and he would set them off running and then he would track them and hunt them and to see that that wasn't the truth that was just dramatized was interesting. It's always interesting to see the difference when you find the real facts versus the dramatizations. Dramatizations. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) So if you have any cool stories that you guys want to share or anything like that, we're going to have some cool, like, relaxed like mind bleach episodes coming up and it'd be cool to have like some maybe listener stories yeah i agree and let us know what you think what you think we need to do different what we're doing good oh yeah this is new for us so not exactly profesh yet but basically already right (laughs) so thank you guys for listening and as always stay safe keep your head on a swivel and don't bring it too close to home if you like listening to us, you can find us on Facebook at Too Close Pod or under the Instagram handle Too Close Podcast. Also, if you have any stories of your own Too Close to Home experiences, shoot us an email at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>